And we are recording in progress. Recording with my buddy, my friend, Mr. Roger Williams on Sunday, February 12th, 2023 at 4.17 p.m. Eastern Time. Super Bowl Sunday and also apparently uh, we're gearing up for War of the Worlds as more and more objects are being shot down. But we're going to pretend like none of that's going on and just carry on the program as normal. Rod, Roger's the author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which will be in the description, as always. He's come on here. He's read Passages in the Void. He's read The Gift. He's read We're Still Reading the Curators. And um, he's working on Topi. And all of those links will be in the description. But I, a couple weeks ago, like 2 in the morning, a, a Lex Friedman podcast uh, popped up on my on my feed and I saw they're talking about something and I was trying to follow it. It was with, uh, with Stephen Wolfram and mentioned something about the rule yet. R U L I A D. And it was one of those things where I could feel like my brain was, uh, I was redlining it. I was like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm getting the idea ish. But I'm not understanding it. And because Roger is a genius, I messaged you and you were like, Yeah, I'll tell you about the really ad. So that's where we are now. Well, uh, you can't understand what he was getting at in that post without knowing what he did in 2020. Uh, and you can't understand what he did in 2020 without understanding what he did in 2002 and Wolfram is he was a prodigy he got a PhD before he was 20 years old uh, he he is me in another timeline better educated okay because I have lost all that math. What he has done, though, is he wrote Mathematica, the computer program that does the math for you and uh, is basically a math assistant. And uh, the funny thing is uh, he started out as a particle physicist. That was what he got his Ph.D. in when he was in his teens. And he lost interest in that and went into pure mathematics. And there, there is a uh, very interesting philosophical argument about whether math and physics have anything to do with one another. Uh, because uh, what physicists are trying to do is to describe the universe, the place that we live in, okay? Mathematicians are just examining numbers and what they do and things like sets and stuff that evolve from numbers. Uh, and... It is a philosophical question. Why does mathematics seem to describe the world so well? And 
the funny thing there is that there is a mathematical description of the macroscopic world. Relativity, gravity, things like that. And there is a different mathematical description of the subatomic world, where quantum phenomena denominate. And those two things do not seem to have any fucking thing to do with one another. Uh, and it has been a holy grail of physics for most of my life to try to unify those two things uh, to say, well, you know, and, uh, and most of the attempts to do that have started from one end or the other and try to cram the other end into uh, a mathematical framework that sort of kind of makes sense. And none of them actually uh, so Wolfram comes into this in the 90s he's a prodigy he's, he's me except that he is much better educated than I am possibly a little smarter than I am and you know, I'm looking at this guy and uh, you know so he has PhD before he's 20 years old uh, but that's in particle physics. But he loses interest in particle physics in his 20s and goes into pure mathematics. Now, there is a difference there. This is very important because uh, to a layman who doesn't actually understand the difference, what physicists and mathematicians do looks very similar. But it's very different because physicists are trying to explain how the universe works, the place we live in, all right? The, the place where we have all of these observa observations and stuff. Mathematicians are more doing flights of fancy about, you know, what do numbers do? And it's been a bit of a philosophical thing for hundreds of years about whether uh, math actually represents anything that exists at all. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's like, is it an accident that calculus actually describes the way the world works hmm. or you know it, it's it, it you know and, and Wolfram I think uh, came to a, a conclusion very similar to something that I did that it probably doesn't uh, that there that it's an emergent property that uh, math happens to describe something, but it's not the driving factor. Okay. 
and Wolfram spent 10 years in the 90s uh, exploring the world of cellular automata. You've probably heard of Conway's Game of Life. So, I think so. I don't know if that's just the power of suggestion. Uh, it's this thing that's played on a two-dimensional chessboard type thing where the cells either live or die. And a rule is applied. And depending on how many other cells around them live or die, or, you know, then the cell in question lives or dies. And the interesting thing is like is that the game, you know, the game of life it it allows for really interesting patterns to form. What Wolfram did was he categorized all of the possible game of life things that could possibly happen. He took 10 years to do this and wrote a thousand page book about what he discovered. And, and this is all about stuff that happens on two dimensional chessboard type environments. And he called that a new kind of science. Uh, actual scientists were not impressed. Uh, I wasn't that impressed because this didn't look like something that could describe the universe that we live in. Uh, he uh, you know, but being a mathematician, this is a math thing, not a physics thing. Uh, he was saying something like this probably drives the universe. It's probably the foundational principle of the universe. Because, uh, it, and, and what he was looking at was the, the standard model. My dad was just young enough to not get educated in that. And, uh, you know, because he's a physicist. Uh, but the standard model was developed in the 1970s. And it all started, if we go back in time, to days of the atomic bombs and stuff life looked simple you had protons neutrons and electrons and we had to beat those japs yeah. sorry <laughs> oh that, and, and simplicity that was com yeah and that was completely true uh so you had that and uh, 
you know, and so we used that. We used that knowledge to build the atomic bombs. And then in the late 40s, because after that, the government started pouring money into physics research because, well, damn. (laughs) Okay. We can make weapons. It could make weapons. Yes. It was, it could be awesome it's it was like we don't know what the fuck they'll do next yeah. uh so in the late 40s a cloud chamber thing comes up where you have this particle that obviously has the mass of an electron but a positive charge Electrons don't have a positive charge. They have a negative charge. What the fuck? 30 years later, we have what we call the standard model, which means, you know, basically they figured out that there is a whole class of particles. There are, in fact, several layers of particles that are kind of self-similar and all, and it doesn't look very fundamental at all. When, uh, I mean, I I didn't know about it until maybe five years ago. And when I found out, I just like told my dad, so I pulled the other one. This is like, seriously? This is how the universe works? Well, uh, all these particles exist. They do what they do. They interact, you know, particle accelerators and all. It's like, obviously, there's nothing fundamental about this. There's obviously another layer down there somewhere that actually might explain this. But no one was even going there. Uh, so this is where things were in 1990. And along comes Stephen Wolfram. And he has basically the same reaction that I do. Pull the other one. No, it's like, no, this is obviously not uh, fundamental or anything. And his intuition is that it's something like uh, these little things that interact on a chessboard. And no, no one is really and, and he published, he took 10 years to publish this thousand page book about cellular automata. And I understand his point, which was that he was saying, you know, 
Rule 110 is Turing complete. It is a computer. You can make a computer out of something so simple if it has the right rule. Getting to that. Okay. Um, but most scientists and all were, uh, they were very dubious. They were like, this is, this doesn't seem to have anything to do with the universe we actually live in because we don't live on a chessboard that's two dimensional. Okay. So, what the fuck? And, uh, and that's, pretty much where it stayed. Uh, Wolfram made his reputation and most of his money on Mathematica. Computer suite of programs that solves math equations for you. Uh, then in 2020 he published uh, a little blurb on his blog. The same blog that you linked to me with the Rulian thing, except that it was three years ago. And that was when he said for a year he had been working with a couple of his graduate students and working on a different kind of automaton, of cellular automaton, where instead of it being on a two-dimensional chessboard, it, it was what they, in mathematics, they call a graph. Uh, where you have a series, you know, you basically have a series of points, and you have relations between the points. And those relations are directional. And you can draw them Okay, so he has all these diagrams. I'm sure, you know, it's like you saw them in the ruling thing. Okay, so uh, his point is that uh, these, you know, the here, what you do is the rule replaces relationships between points with new relationships between points. And they may eat points, cause them to cease to exist, or they may create new points. And in one of his early experiments, and, and, and in all of us, and to uh, be fair to him, he called these toy models. He calls everything that he has done with this toy models. He doesn't pretend that this actually represents the world that we live in. Sure. He's just playing with something very simple that might okay. Uh, one of the first things he observed is one of the rules seemed to be making space. It was developing three-dimensional grid. And, you know, if you, you know, and, and uh, the visualization is an important thing because 
fundamentally, these uh, these relationships don't have the visualization. They don't, you know, it's points and numbers. And, and one of the things that Wolfram has been doing for the last 20 years is developing tools that make it possible to visualize things like this. So uh, he's looking at this and going, okay, yeah, it looks like it's making space. Now, what would matter or energy be in this space? Well, there would be flaws. There would be, you know, it wouldn't be actual, you know, three-dimensional, just cubes or whatever. Uh, you would have a, a particle would be something that is different. And if you've played with Conway's Game of Life, and you, know, you, know, you look at things like gliders, then those things are very complicated. And Conway said, even a thing like an electron would probably be a very complex thing in this expression. This, you know. And uh, so where does this come from? You know, what is it? He doesn't say. Yeah, it's, it's like we don't know. And this is, but what he's saying is that this is the world. This is the universe that we live in. Uh, and he's saying this is a better description of it. Now, in that original article in 2020, playing with his toy model, he showed how you could get relativistic behavior. Now, it's not numeric, you know, it's not numerically verifiable or anything. It's just, it's like, it's, we don't know what the rule is, but there has to be a rule. And if there is a rule, then, based on that assumption, we can say that there are emergent effects. And those emergent effects look relativistic. He also, in the next section, showed quantum effects. from the same model. That's where I sat and said, what? Because no one had ever done that before. Uh, we have two mathematical models to describe the world. The relativistic model describes macroscopic stuff and the quantum model describes 
microscopic stuff, particles and stuff. And they have absolutely nothing to do with one another. They're completely different. Merging those two has been the fucking holy grail of physics for almost my entire life. And here comes Wolfram, and he's got this silly idea about cellular automata, and the same system is showing relativistic effects and quantum effects, neither of which is being forced from the other, because <clears throat> all of the other people who've ever tried to do this have started started from one and started from relativity started from quantum and tried to cram the other in okay and he's just like no all right here is a, a fundamentally simple system and if you tease it correctly then you get effects that look relativistic you look you get effects that look quantum that's where I sat. So it's an arranged marriage versus an organic love. He's finding yeah. that there's a much more simple path. Yeah. Uh, and, and nobody saw it. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Like I said, that's where I sat up and said, oh, I need to pay attention to this. Um, in fact, I bookmarked that blog. I don't ever do that. <laughs> when when you sent me the Rulian thing, I immediately clicked on my bookmark to the 2020 blog post and saw, okay, this is where it came from. Now, what happened in the last three years okay uh he's in, in 2020 uh wolfram started what he called the new physics project i think uh to try now it's very primitive and and real physicists have complained that it's not uh it doesn't make any predictions it's not numerically verifiable uh and of course, because it's still all we have is a toy system. It's not uh, at the point where it describes the real universe. It just suggests what could describe the real universe. Uh, the post that you linked to me, though, I think, it it's, is doing two things. One is a land grab. I think Wolfram has realized that he's not going to live long enough to see the actual rule discovered. So by defining this Rulium thing, what he is actually doing is saying, whatever the rule is, it has to be in this superset of things that I've described. And 
that's a mathematician thing, not a physics thing. And then he says all of the rules are being applied all at the same time, and that's where he loses me. Um, I do uh, my personal belief is that something like this is actually the foundation of the universe. I mean, I am in complete agreement with him. It is, it, it's uh, it's a thing that I felt in my bones since I was, you know, 10 years old and had my first encounter with a computer that, you know, the this is obviously how the universe must work. And there are implications there. The universe is finite. That in itself is a major thing. Um, so that, uh, so so one of the things he's doing, like I said, is a land grab and saying, whatever the rule is, I'm claiming as a part of this set of possible rules, it has to be in this set. And so then we can say some things about it and we can claim it and uh, even though I'm going to die in the next decade or two. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that he is uh, laying uh, the groundwork, you know, against the people who will go, oh, well, now we know how God created the universe. He picked the rule. Because uh, <laughs> Wolfram is an atheist and he doesn't believe that God created the rule. He doesn't believe that God exists. So uh, that creates a thing where you've got to uh, work on the, you know, uh, well, it, he doesn't want to encourage those certain things he doesn't believe in. And, you know, rule 110 is Turing complete. It's a computer. And this new thing that they're doing, the points in space and all that, there's probably another uh, rule that is like that. I don't think they've found it yet. But he doesn't want to leave it to what he considers the bumpkins to say, this is, oh, well, now we know how God created the universe. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are with Stephen Wolfram right now. And notice you've been very quiet. No, I'm trying. 
much like I was when I watched that uh, or most of that podcast mm. is I'm I'm trying to. It's admittedly over my head. I'm tr- I'm trying to understand it. I'm not sure if I. I know, I know I don't. So if I'm if I'm quiet, it's because uh, I'm not confident. And I'm not cocky enough to spat out my own. I'm just sitting here like a sponge, trying to piece it to. That's how I was in a class in college. If I was ever if I was ever talking and answering, it's because I was cocky and I knew the answer. If I was totally fucking dumbfounded, I was quiet, just staring, just picking up every piece of information I could. Well, I will say I will say this: Stephen Wolfram is probably the smartest person I know. It's like, uh, I am considered a pretty smart person by a lot of people, but he is a fuckload better educated than I am. And I respect the work that he has done uh, a lot. Uh, and But he himself, I think, uh, would be the first to say that if you need to understand partial differential equations to understand the universe, that's not an understanding of the universe. It, he, he, he thinks, I think, that the, there is a level at which the universe is actually fundamentally pretty simple. And what all of this math is doing is describing emergent properties. Uh, and it does, you know, the math does that very well, but you have to ask yourself, what about like all of the square roots of minus one? You know, uh, I didn't understand. This was this was the thing that vexed me. It, it, you know, when I was in college, I was like, okay, why are we having all of these lowercase uh, italicized eyes? in these equations for the square root of minus one. And no one could explain it to me. I finally actually saw a YouTube video a year ago that showed that, well, it comes down to our uh, geometric uh, solutions to equations. And in the, the you know, in, in certain cases, of the quadratic equation, it turns out to be useful that if you uh, you assume uh, you're adding these rectangles together to fill out the solution, and you have to assume a, a negative area rectangle, and I'm and and they're like, what? And it's like, well. If you know, this is what Euler did. Uh, and if you do that, if you assume that you can have a rectangle with a negative area and add it in, then at the end of your solution, the negative areas even out. They they wipe out, and you end up with a real number. The solution to your answer and that has proven so useful that it's ridiculous in electromagnetism in all kinds of fields and this is one of the things that vexed me when i was in college 
because we had these things where you have complex numbers. And I'm like, well, if it's complex numbers, like, you know, why do you, why are you calling this y-axis the square root of minus 1? Why don't you just call it x and y? Well, it turns out it goes back to Euler in this thing about the algebraic solution, you know, the geometric solutions. And no one was bothering to explain it to me. They were just like, it just works. Learn. It just is. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, and when you see why it was evolved, it's actually very elegant and very disturbing. Because then you have to ask, do this, does this square root of minus one thing, is that a thing that actually exists? Because you can't have a rectangle with a negative, negative area. area. Okay. Well, it turns out that it's incredibly useful in all kinds of fields of science to assume that it does. Uh, and, you know, I dropped out of it about at the time when it would have become really important for me to understand this. Uh, and no one was bothering to explain it to me at this time. Uh, so I went into something more practical, you know, doing computer programming and stuff. Uh, but that, you know, that gets us into the question of math versus physics. Does math describe the universe because the universe is made of math? Uh, I mean, is, or is math merely an emergent property in the universe that sometimes aligns with the laws of physics and sometimes doesn't? Exactly. It's like, uh, it's like if you learned Harry Potter upside down and backwards, and then you would eventually ask yourself, well, does Harry Potter describe our life? Well, in many ways, sure. There's coming of age, there's sex, there's friendships, there's betrayal, there's honor, there's maturity. They even live on a planet. They have two hands. They look right. And you'd go, oh, so, you know, Hogwarts describes America. And it's, no, Hogwarts, that entire concept does in many ways look like us, but in terms of the real down here in reality, like, no, I, I can't say an incantation. So it might align, the Venn diagram might align like almost a perfect eclipse, but it doesn't show it entirely. So it's it's a tool and it's useful, but it's not the the Bible of physics, if you will. It's not the, it's not the instruction, it's not the instruction manual. It's not a, it's not a, a note from the developer. It's close, but it's not, it's not it. Yeah. Well, nobody knows why math describes the universe as well as it does. We obviously use it, and it well, works. I, th I think, I think for the same reason that eventually, if you reverse engineered Harry Potter enough, you would, you'd finally have to go. 
well, it's because Harry Potter was a creation of our life. So in many ways, it's based on us, and then it has some deviations. So it's is it that math is an emergent property from the universe, and so in many ways it is like we all have like we all have like pretty much the same genome. It's just like yours expresses different things, mine expresses different things. So you and I are emergent from the genome, but I'm not as tall as you. You don't have the same eyes as me, on and on. But we have kind of the same core toolbox or code right. from which we're arisen. So it almost seems like math is the emergent property from physics. And that's why sometimes it aligns and some that's why, yeah, he looks a lot like his dad. You know, it's like, well, yeah, he's his dad's son, but he's not his dad. Well, no, because he's not his dad. And it, you wouldn't say it's because they're similar. You'd say it's because he is of his dad. Yeah. Is that right? Am I anywhere close or am I just? I, I, actually, I think you've got it uh, pretty close there. Uh, you know, we don't, you know, it, it, it's been actually a pretty, uh, lively philosophical debate for at least a hundred years maybe more about whether mathematics describes anything that's real at all hmm. and uh the fact that physicists use mathematics the way that they do uh is a subset of that argument uh you know because they're you know describing the universe and i i i agree with wolfram in the general sense that it, it isn't fundamental it there has to be something simpler uh underneath it yeah i don't know if what he is driving at is right nobody does uh i know that he is looking for that thing he's not interested in string theory and stuff like that he 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 took one look at that and recognized this is not it and uh in that sense uh i mean i i hate to uh say you know well i'm i'm equating myself with someone like stephen wolfram who is obviously much better educated and smarter than i am but uh, yeah, uh, I saw the same thing. It's like I, I I look at a thing and go, that is so stupid, it's not even worth wasting your time on. Uh, now, unlike me, he actually has the tools to go after it. And I'm like, I really want to see what it's. I was not impressed with the new kind of science uh, when he uh, published that. And that's a thousand-page book that took him ten years to write, and I'm looking and, and I'm looking at it and going, "This is not impressing me. This is not the way the universe works." In 2010, in 2020, rather, when he came up with this new thing, I sat up. I was like, you're showing relativistic stuff and quantum stuff in, even if it's a toy model, no one has ever done both of those things in a single model before. Okay, a 
let's see where this goes. Now, the real scientists are going, well, this isn't all that impressive because it's not quantitative and there's no way to prove it and there's no test that can be done. Well, of course, and you know, Wolfram himself said, this is a toy model. You know, this is just the beginning, but he's teasing the, these behaviors out and saying, no matter what the rule is, it has to do these things. Now, what he's done in the post that you sent me, the ruling, all right, he's doing two things there. One is land grab. Right. Yeah, he's saying the body's going to be found in this field. Out of the entire United States, the body is going to be in this county in Georgia. I don't know where, but you're going to find the body of the fucking missing girl or something, right? Yeah. He's saying he doesn't know what the rule will be. Yeah. But he's saying the rule has to be part of this set. In here. Nuclear fusion will look like a tokamak reactor, but I can't tell you what the exact parameters are. Yeah. Uh, Smart on his hand, on his end. Uh, yeah, and, and I don't have a lot of respect for that. I, I, well, that, I, that's that's the that's the human ego grab, which, though, seems to be a little unscientific. It's also in terms it's of it's a vision. lot unscientific. Well, no, well, not <laughs> yeah, not not kind of. It's totally unscientific, <laughs> but it's realistic in that. That's also what drives shit forward. Is you want to slap your name on it, like yeah. it or not. There there are selfless researchers. Well, a lot of shit you want to slap Tommy on. I, I I liken it to James Clerk Maxwell. Uh, you know, in you know, in the early nineteenth century, he does this thought experiment. You know, they at the time they have figured out uh, electro electricity. They figured out magnetism. Yeah. They have constants. They they know that if you have a moving electric field that creates a magnetic field and vice versa. And he does this thought experiment. If you, you know, it's like, so you go to the roof of your house and if you have a charged particle and you wave it back and forth, okay? If it's a charged particle, it's electrically charged, then that's gonna create a magnetic field. And if, you know, the thing is, that's a, mu a moving magnetic field, that's going to create an electric field and vice, you know, back and forth and all. And so that's going to create a wave. So in the early 19th century, he looks, you know, at the constants and he, he comes up with what are still to this day called Maxwell's equations and says, well, and, and his conclusion is, you could, if you could set up a wave like this, it would travel at a certain speed. And it turns out that the speed he calculates for this wave is suspiciously close to the speed that has actually been measured for the speed of light. Okay. It was 50 years before they actually proved that light was an electromagnetic wave. I think that's where 
we are with Wolfram and his ideas about the universe. Uh, you know, when Maxwell did that, it was so far ahead of its time. No one even understood how far ahead of its time it was. Yeah. Um, and I think Wolfram is right. Uh, I mean, this has been my intuition too uh, for decades. Uh, but it's a very difficult thing to probe. It's very, you know, it's like we're not yet at the point where we can prove one, you know, one way or the other what's going on. And I think Wolfram, who's about my age, is starting to realize that he's probably not going to live long enough yeah. to see it happen. Thus, the land grab of the Rulian. So, uh, and, and, and I can't quite blame him for that. Uh, he has spent most of his life pursuing this. Yeah. Um, in contradiction to almost everyone else in all in, in his fields, uh, he's he's made his mark and most of his money with the Mathematica program. Oh yeah, all from Alpha. Um, but. In tw the 2020 article was him returning to physics. That was about describing how the world works. The the new thing, the Rulium thing, is him going back to mathematics. All right. When he says, well, all of the rules are constantly being tested, he loses me. I can accept the idea that there may be some kind of evolutionary process by which rules that don't work are discarded and new rules are brought in or something like that. But just like, well, they're all being exercised all at the same time. Sometimes, yeah. Nah. I, it's like, I don't... I, the only... I don't get that. The only way Not I could, the only way I could, like, kind of understand or go with that is like a neon sign. Like, all the bulbs in a neon sign technically exist at one time, and they are all technically attached to a power source. But if it's like a just if it's a time if it's a clock and it just says five oh six p.m. You and I might say no. Only the ones that make up five oh six are being activated, but the, the the sign maker might say no. All the bulbs are existing at this time, and they are all connected to power, but only five oh six is being shown. Does that make sense? Like, that's the... honestly, it doesn't <laughs> really. It's, it's um, what's another way? You know, when you ever see a ro you, you ever see like... you ever seen lights on a roller coaster? You ever seen like uh, when a roller coasters off at night, and but there will be lights on them or something, and they'll just yeah. they'll have like the light running around, and they'll even make like a little snake 
and it's going all around on it and it it's the illusion of like a a light you know like a snake traveling up and down and going in circles right. and stuff but it's not it's it's an illusion right all the lights are there but we're just seeing the ones that are being turned on at this time and so it has the illusion okay. of being a snake yeah. but but we all know the roller coaster's there it's just dark and we can't see it that's like the close. If I had to, bo- if I'm his lawyer and I had to argue his point, so he didn't go in the electric chair for whatever reason, that's what I would say. I'd say they're all there. We're only seeing some turned on. At which point, I don't know. I'd go down as like some O.J. Simpson lawyer or some shit. They'd be like, "Fuck that guy. He technically won." You get what I'm saying? Like, if I had to go extra credit, who wants to be a millionaire? Burning my lifeline. That's my. That's my shoehorning the answer in and the the professor feeling bad for me and giving me a passing grade. That's what I mean. Alright. I don't believe I don't necessarily believe it. If I had to bullshit an answer, that's what it would be. At this point, I've forgotten what the question was. (laughs) All rules are being exercised at the same time. All the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, and 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 that doesn't make any fucking sense. No, one, uh, one of the things uh, I saw, Elizer Dukowski, I think, agreed with me on this because we both came to the same conclusion uh, without knowing that either, you know, neither of us knew the other existed when we did the calculation that came up with the idea that the universe contains about 10 to 81st power bits of information, uh, you know, based on the volume of the universe and quantum mechanics and the, uh, the fact that you can't completely determine the position yeah. of the particle. And, uh, the outside of uh, things, the you know, so we did that, and and, and we're looking at the you know, Wolfram doing the ruleum. And it's like, you know, uh, when I was a child, it was commonly believed, or it was one of the things that atheists, physicists in particular, believed that the universe is infinite. And um, I don't believe the universe is infinite. It's really fucking big, okay, but it's not infinite. Uh, everything that we have learned in the last 30 or 40 years has suggested that the universe is finite. And, of course, that starts people speculating about what's beyond it. And, and we don't even know what the you know right now there's a real big debate going about okay how big is the universe really 
because there's the observable universe. Mm -hmm. And the observable universe is shrinking because of the expansion of space. And that's reducing the amount of, you know, the, the, of the universe that we can actually observe with light. So how big is the rest of the universe that we can't observe? And there's no fucking consensus on this at all. It's total theatrics. Uh, and I would say it's a completely unanswerable question. One of the yeah. things that they tried to do was to show whether space is curved or flat. Because if space is curved, particularly if it's positively curved, then you could say, well, it's a hypersphere, and you could maybe estimate the size. But to the best of our ability to measure it, it's completely flat. Well, what does that mean? Are are we are we the cavemen in ten thousand years? They'd be like, yeah, uh, they used to think the universe was flat. <laughs> Back well, in Christopher Columbus's day, Tommy and Roger. Th <laughs> well, it's uh, they uh, the best measurements that we can do with the best instruments that we have suggest that space is completely flat. It's not curved. So there's no hypersphere to estimate the radius of. Now, the thing about uh, the theorem that we are here to explore uh, it conveniently provides an explanation for both dark energy and dark matter. Uh, and, you know, and, and again, it's not quantitative, but if it's a graph having this rule applied to it, then uh, Wolfram suggests that uh, there could be a lot of strange little particles formed while space is being made that don't interact gravitationally with anything else. Oh. Because they're not part of the standard model. They're just sort of flaws. Yeah. And so we're picking up this like weird moisture shockwave cone as as the unobservable universe is going outwards and we're picking up these weird like expansion metabolites yeah. like yeah. yeah so it's like you know so the you so you have all these particles that aren't actually part of any system yeah. that we can detect they only interact gravitationally and so of course they end up uh swarming around galaxies because that's where you know they only interact gravitationally and the other thing is dark energy which is the expansion of space and there it's even simpler it's the application of the rule 
what does the rule do? The first thing that they observed before, you know, in the beginning of getting this idea, it seems like it's making space. Well, maybe it's still making space. What's the percentage of the universe or like mass that's dark energy or dark matter? Is it like 73 or 96% of like all shit? It's something like that. Let's just say it's 73. For whatever. Maybe it means then like the observable universe is only 27% of the total well, the, universe. Well, this is what I was just talking about. It, is is like we don't know what the actual unobservable yeah. universe is beyond where we can tell from what we know that much of the universe that is observable now will not be observable in the future. And that suggests that there is a universe out there that may have been observable in the past well, uh, okay. that isn't now. So it's just like some sort of like meta conservationist thing like the species you see now your grandkids won't see well we don't know it's it's it's, it's you know one of the things that it was if you're confined to the speed of light mm -hmm. then uh there is a definite limit where you you know a lot of the galaxies that we are looking at now through things like the james webb space telescope even with completely perfected technology, if we could accelerate to the speed of light, we can't ever get to them. It's not possible. Uh, because space is expanding faster than we could get to them. And that is true of... Uh, a surprisingly large percentage of the universe. I want to say when I, when I read that article, it was like 50% or more. Oh, it did it again. It's fucking... This has happened several times. It's only happened... It only happened once at the old apartment, and now it's happened like four times in the new apartment is where the Sony gets too hot. <laughs> Which it shouldn't fucking do. That is, I am. I'm gonna start doing reverse advertising for Sony. I'm just gonna start <laughs> really showcasing how shitty that product is until they pay me to shut up. It's gonna be my. Well, I have to say, I like seeing your face. You're actually looking at me right now. Yeah, I know. Instead of yeah, I know. So it's my my logic is is I fucking spent so much on that camera, I'm gonna use it. But now it's like whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's just a whatever. I don't. I don't. You can see the gaming computer behind me. Yes. Yeah, you can see the rest. Of, I guess you can see out my apartment. Yeah, you got a lair there. You got a man cave. Hell yeah, I do. Ooh, this computer's hot. This thing never gets hot. That ain't good. I don't know. So the you know that so so anyway that's where I am with the. Uh, all of this is i i am definitely on team universe finite and uh th you know there there's 
something there, and, and I think Stephen Wolfram is much smarter than I am, and he's got good ideas. Uh, whether they're going to be right or not in the end, well, you know, uh, centuries will tell. Uh, but uh, that's where I am. We should do a meta land grab. You and I should claim. Tommy and Roger's theorem states that Wolfram will land grab the right answer. <laughs> uh, I think he is on a very good track, actually. That's, uh, like I said, you know, when I read that article he po- he posted in 2020, uh, I sat up. Yeah. That was, uh, I, I I was not really impressed with uh, a new kind of science, thousand page book he was doing, yeah. But because this was basically well, by analogy, then something like this must be running the universe, and I'm I'm like, okay, well, I'm up with that, but you haven't showed me anything really that really convincingly looks like a swarm of particles and in 2020 he comes up with something that looks convincingly like a swarm of particles and that's what the universe is um, here I'm paying attention this is like okay show me more uh, and I think the problem is, you know, he's spent his entire life pursuing this, and he's realizing he is like Moses, looking over the promised land and knowing that he's not necessarily going to get there himself. I think that's the final test, though, of the researcher, is will you push science forward for the betterment of the next generation, and you won't see it. Because we can all say that if we're pursuing science, but it's easy to say when your name's still being slapped onto everything and everyone's going, oh, you're doing good. Do you really care how much are you willing to keep pushing it forward? And you go, I will never see this happen. It's kind of like the final, are you willing to be the shoulders that some future person will stand on? Yes. Or not, man. I don't think there's anything wrong with not either. Um, and I'm not sure where Wolfram stands on that, honestly. I think he might be a little too egoistic. But uh, those, unfortunately, those are also the people that tend to drive this shit forward. Yeah, yes. it's you know, a politician is only gonna slap their name on a bill if they're if if they get to fucking name it after themselves. And it's like, but it's a it's a hospital for kids with cancer. And it's like, at a certain point, you go, you know what? If Senator Roger Williams wants to be the Senator Roger Williams pediatric oncology unit, fuck it. Fuck it. And someone goes, that guy's an asshole. And you go, that may be so. And so is his secretary, Tommy. But you know what? What do we care about more? Getting the children the cancer treatment or not? And you go, oh, fuck it, okay. And that's that's kind of how this shit's driven forward, you know, is is names. It is. And it's yes. an unfortunate aspect of humanity, but it's also it would be naive to pretend that that's not the case, right? Yep. Um yeah. 
Um, Do you see that building? It's like white-ish above my finger. Barely. Can you see it? It's like a, it's being constructed. There's like an outline. It's the reflection of the blue light is overlapping it. I don't know if you can see it. All right. Yeah. Well, I can see it. There's just that's a building being constructed. Right. Apparently, yeah, there's a thing there. Yeah, okay. apparently, yeah, it's not important. I don't know why I went to such lengths to point it out. It's a fucking building. <laughs> but it's being constructed, and uh, it's going to be really nice. And uh, I emailed them and asked if I could put my name in for a unit and just completely bullshitted about my income. I just literally stated it was like a 100 times what it was. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> yeah, you can put you, we'll, we'll put you on the reservation list. And I was like, thank you. And that was like a year ago. And now it's kind of unnerving because now I live here and now I'm physically seeing it being constructed. And I'm like, I hope there are no repercussions to me lying about. Like, I didn't put any money down, but I just. Yeah, there won't. That's, that's. Yeah. I was like, I'm the CEO Everyone of, of TPC shit. Media. And they're like, oh, interesting. And I was like, yeah, don't, you don't need to look into it. It's whatever. Yeah, so it's like, okay, I had a reversal. Sorry. You know, Sorry, I was, I was, I invested all my money in Wolfram. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean the uh, of course the other thing I've been uh, I was, I, of course I got sick on Christmas Eve. Uh, you know, it's like you, I, you remember I gave you a list of dates and you said, yeah. "Well, I meant to be." And I was like, "Well, it was a good thing you didn't." Yeah, uh, I know you've been sick as titties. I I I I have blown more sick days in the last month than I did in 37 years and it's been weird because it's not like that's not terrible. your thing yeah no and, and and it's not terrible it's just like if I push myself just a little too much then I get nauseous and I throw up and that's happened a few times this month so I've learned to uh you know there's i think there's probably a pro an imbalance in my gut biome or something it's it's something weird like that it's getting better uh you know the first two weeks after christmas i i almost literally slept 20 hours a day uh and i went back to work and thought i was over it but then the second day I had to do uh, some sorting of old equipment, you know, and the only place I had to work because of all the work that's being done in the office, which doesn't help much, was at uh, a, a bench where I had to stand up. And uh, I got through about half of what I needed to do, and I was just like feeling really bad. And uh, I went over to one of my co-workers workstations he was out on a service call and threw up in his trash can. <laughs> and uh it's like that was humiliating that's no, right uh, and uh so i've been very careful about that you know and it's like for so for uh i've, I've gone from taking a couple of hours off each day to taking an hour off each day it's good i'm hoping to do an actual 40 hour week next week i think that would be 
really great because it's like I don't like being. It's, it's not fun. Doing the shit. It's know? not. It's. You always think it's gonna be like fun, like oh, I have a reason to take some days off. Once you get like one good night of sleep, and you've kind of made up all the sleep debt, you realize yeah. just how much, just how much life and energy there is in in working and doing things. You're sitting around all day, just like. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's like boring. my life. My life is about doing stuff. Yeah, it's I, I, it's, it's death it's, to stay still. Is just like, you're like, what am I? Yeah. And, and and so uh, it, 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 you know that that that's been the thing for me for like over a month now. It's it's just I, it's humiliating, and I'm tired of it. Uh, but I've also been uh, working on the project that Andy Atun Shay. Mm-hmm prodded me into uh so i know you are probably aware that i have described your favorite book as a pseudo collaboration between isaac asimov philip k dick and the marquis de Sade. and after writing the metamorphosis prime intellect i went on to write passages in the void which is very Philip K. Dickian, mm-hmm. because the main character there is an artificial intelligence that was once human, that was uploaded and forgot that it was human. That That is a very Philip K. Dickian thing. Okay? And uh, more recently, I wrote The Curators on read it and that is very asimovian to the point where i actually ripped off the whole idea of the interstellar drive from the foundation series uh and uh it, it's uh very much in his vein and that leaves sod and so i had dinner with andy uh, a couple of months ago and I mentioned to him that I had this idea knocking around in my head of doing uh, a story that would be what the Marquis de Sade would write today if he had modern knowledge of science and sociology and uh, biology because a lot of his arguments fall apart because he was working in the 18th century when the understanding of those things was very primitive by modern standards. And, and he just like took a wide look at me and said, you have to write this. Fuck yeah. So I've got 30,000 words into it and it's very strange. It is very strange climbing into the head of the marquee decide but uh i think it's going to actually be pretty fucking good it's going to be really fucking perverse but that's that's what we do here Mo- mopey isn't exactly prude <laughs> no. um on a on a kind of side note and then we got we got a 
wrap this one up in a minute. Um, what was I going to say? Completely unrelated. I've been discovering Upton Sinclair over the last oh, like, month. Yes. I read The Jungle, which blew me away, and now I'm reading <laughs> Oil. God, dude, what a fucking writer. But there's something so cool about that. I think he wrote The Jungle in 1904, and I think he wrote Oil in mm-hmm. 1920. There's, like, and I've, I've always, I remember hearing the name The Jungle by Upton Sinclair in like, it's, you know, social studies in third grade, you know, right? And it led to like Teddy Roosevelt and whatever the fuck. I've always known it as just like a, as like a factoid, right? Mm-hmm. Like 1492, Christopher Columbus. I uh, have actually gone into those places. Yeah. Okay. Dude, what my my point is is like um there's something so cool about truly picking it up and reading it for the first time a hundred and twenty years after it was written mm-hmm. and being sucked in entirely. And it just kinda gave me this new appreciation for for like for writing of like reaching back in time and like this dude had no concept of what 2023 would, but here I am on an iPhone with half a terabyte of memory, touchscreen, <laughs> downloading his book through 5G networks, walking through a an 18 story skyscraper, which in 1904 would be the world's tallest building, and I'm listening to his book while on the gym or in the gym, and it just get I don't know, kind of gave me this cool concept of just like reaching through time, like yeah, it's cool. It, Listening to The Jungle was better than any, like, 8K, 60 frame per second video game I've played. And it was just like, dude, that's pretty badass that you can reach through time like that and still, like, put Uber Eats and Pornhub to shame in terms of, like, (laughs) just sucked me in entirely. No pun intended. Like, and 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 the thing is, he's writing about stuff that even, even though there have been reforms, a lot of it is still happening. Sure. And then it's, uh, and then you think about how normal it was for then, and now just listening to it now, and even I'm like, Jesus Christ! And then you start to think, well, what does it look like in 2140? Are they going to look back at us and be like, when, yeah, when, when, when I went to work for Michelle, uh, the second day, uh, I went to uh, a, a job with the guy who was training me at a place called Thompson Beef. And they made the hamburger patties for Burger King at the time for the entire Southeast United States. And that meant they took in sides of beef and ground them up and turned them into hamburger patties. Now, they didn't have a kill floor. It it actually... Now, having gone to other places, I realized it's one of the cleanest food processing plants I've ever seen. Uh, but uh, after that, it was a month before I could eat another hamburger. Yeah, it'll. The smell of death in that place was just something I had never experienced before. Uh, now, humans can get used to anything. Sure. And I did. Uh, so I got to the point where I could go to food processing plants. But that first exposure uh, shocked me to my core. 
and uh, I think, you know, it's like no one has any fucking idea what is going on. Have, uh, you, have you read uh, Fast Food Nation? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. but I had to read that in uh, college or something. That's another great book. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's like I've been in a lot of production plants, so I know where a lot of the bodies buried. Sure. And uh, it, it it's ugly. Yeah. Uh, it, and at the same time, it's necessary. Well, and that's the, is, that's the other thing. It's like, do you or do you not want, you know, food? Right. Well, you know, it's like, do you want food? And it's like, we have so many people there. If you say, well, we don't want these plants doing these kinds of things, then how the fuck does everybody eat? It's yeah. not possible. So it's really uh, an unpleasant situation with, you know, in it, that regard. Well, it's like, uh, you know, people say we shouldn't use hormones or preservatives. And it's like, that's okay for you and me, where if we really want to, we can shell out a couple extra shekels. But what about yeah. the family? What about the single mom who's like... Yeah. If you're rich, you can, you know... It's a, it's a luxury indulge to... Indulge yourself. And that's fine. And that's often what drives markets forward is, is you can start maybe looking for, you know, more humane. And then that economy as a scale will bring that. That's all well and good. The people who get fucked are the people who are so tired and working three shifts at McDonald's and you go to them and they're like, right. this is no, this is, this is ethically raised beef. And they look at you like they're on their ninth cup of coffee. They're like, what? Like I get a screaming baby. Like, I mean, I'm in government housing. Like I don't, which one's cheaper. That's the, that's the reality of it. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't push to make advancements right because then 120 years go by and you go oh thank god we're not in the jungle anymore but like there is also like you said it's it's it's, it's ugly but it's also like well which do you want yeah i mean there's how do you support 10 billion people on yeah. this world there there's there's no other way uh the only the only way to fix it is to start you know basically massively killing people and, uh, and then, well, I would rather not be well, then, that. And then the question comes up of, okay, organic beings are going to be slaughtered. Which ones do you want, fellow man or cow? It's not yeah. a funny, but it's like, you got to choose one, man. You got to choose one. There's no. Well, it's more like man or man. That's, you know, that, yeah. the, the ultimate problem is that we have almost 10 billion human beings and the world is barely capable of supporting us and the climate crisis is about to fuck Tip us over. all over yeah uh, so uh you know because because the circumpolar vortex has col completely collapsed the uh which ice shelf it is in antarctica has collapsed you know, so we're about to start to see, see sea level rise. We're seeing storms of the like that you never saw before. I, it's like when when I was sick, I you know one of the things is I had to ride in passenger seat back from Tunica, Mississippi, 
which is normally a six hour drive. But uh, we got up and uh, texts weren't going through. Phone calls weren't going through. I had to knock on my partner's door that was next door to me. And, you know, he had to throw on a pair of pants. And it's like, and we got to his window just in time to see, you know, in Tunica, Mississippi, the casinos are on the wrong side of the levee <laughs> by, by necessity because they have to float. So the Corps of Engineers levee is there and you have to climb over it in order to get to the casino. And we uh, were sitting on th there on the 22nd floor. Oh, Jesus. Of a tower and watching a car try it, spin out, and crash. And uh, my partner was like, you know, well, it's like we can't stay there. They were saying it was only going to get worse. It wasn't going to get better. So this was like Wednesday. And we were like, you know, if we stayed, they were like, well, it's not going to get better until maybe Saturday at the earliest. So we're going to be stuck here. And uh, I could tell my partner, and I, and I had ridden up. I, I left my car in Columbia, Mississippi, and rode up with him, which was a four-hour drive. It was an hour and a half for me to get to Columbia, and then four hours from Columbia to Tunica. And we stayed at the plant. And uh, this is one of the things where he was doing his thing, schmoozing the customer. And meanwhile, I was, we were standing up, standing up, standing up, standing up. And I wasn't well. And I really realized I was, I was not in good shape. And so I asked for, you know, if they had some bottled water, found a place to sit down. Because we had all been standing in the plant manager's door. Uh, I told him, it's like, well, I haven't been feeling well. Uh, and we got out and said, you know, finally it was the customer who said, well, we kind of got to cut this off because it's been sleeting for half an hour. Okay, that's half an hour too long that we, you know, we should have left earlier. We get out. I nearly went ass over tea kettle just trying to walk to his truck. And managed to make it the whole landscape is fucking white and uh, fortunately we were in the delta which is flat so you know and you know so Jay looks at me and goes it's like well should we try to go somewhere south you know I hate to burn a hotel room and it's like, it's like oh I think that boat sailed man we need to go to the closest place we can get to and I think that's Casino Row yeah we have a hotel room there it's 20 miles we're already in Delta it's flat yeah. so we managed to get there and uh, I got to the hotel room I'm thinking well you know it's a casino. It's been a while since I've been in a casino. I can go down and play some craps or something. Nope. I use the bathroom, turn around, and puke my guts out. Oh, jeez. 
And so it's like, all right, so not visiting the restaurant, not visiting the casino, not doing any of that stuff. Uh, next morning, we get up, you know, just in time to see the guy spin out on the road up the levee that we have to cross to get out of the place. And I can see Jay, so it's like, well, we can't stay here. We can't stay here. It's like, and uh, the thing about the geography of Mississippi at that place, so we were in the Delta, which is completely flat, but, you know, and, and he's getting a call from his guy in Memphis going, oh, yeah, the interstate's pretty clear. It's, you know, it's pretty clear. It's like bridges are bad, but the roads are, are clear. It's like, but the problem is we are 40 miles from the interstate. And half of that is climbing up out of the delta on roads that are hilly. Hmm. Okay. Two lane roads that have 40 fucking bank embankments on the side. Fuck that. You go off the road, it'll be March before they find your fucking body. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, it's like, I am totally not cool with this. So I, I tell him, it's like, if you want to do this, we go to Highway 61 and we turn south and we drive down through the Delta, which is nice and flat. And it's four lane highway. And there's no embankment on either side. So if we do spin out or something like that, we don't die. And he's like, okay, yeah, we can, we can do that. We spent the first 30 miles going 15 miles now. Could feel the rear end of the pickup truck fishtailing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like driving on glass, you know, that whole way. Uh, and, uh, was like, yeah, if you tried to go straight to the interstate on those hills, we would be fucking dead. It, it, it would not have worked. Uh, so, yeah, it took four hours for us to drive from Columbia to Tunica, and it took over six for us to drive back. And then I had to drive another hour and a half back in my own car to get home from Columbia. Uh, and the whole way I wasn't, you know, it's like I had puked in the hotel room the night before I wasn't really feeling well. So, uh, that was the, you know, I don't know how I even got on this, but you know, I'm, it's, there's, <laughs> there's a snowstorm a couple of weeks ago and I'm not, I'm from New England, but dude, I lived in Georgia for most of my life. So even just driving to the the grocery store at like 8 p.m. in my little Honda Civic. As soon as I pulled out, I immediately am going like downhill. And I just remember thinking, I was like, there's like a 50-50 chance I'm, I'm getting back up this hill. And, <laughs> but luckily I'm in a city and I was like, I won't die. Someone's going to see me and they're going to be like, oh, this poor fuck. But like right. I, I immediately had this realization of like, oh, yeah, no, I'm in like a different planet and I definitely need to stay within like the city limits unless I'm with like – a family member that has a truck or knows what they're doing. But I had that of, of like, Oh yeah. If I was in the middle of nowhere, I would absolutely not be able to like, this is, this is bad. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a. Uh, I probably put the rest of my family to, or I, I'm probably ashamed to them. All of my family is just the, these northern mountain people that do the shit with their <laughs> eyes closed, and I'm like huddled up in my apartment, like looking at the snow, just like peeking out over the window, and I'm like, it's scary. Um, and then. Oh no! Fuck that shit. I mean, it's like you know we were like you know and 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 the thing is Jay had uh, he had driven all over the place. He used to work for a company called Morel. They sent him all over the goddamn place, and so he had driven in some really bad conditions for them. And and so this is what we're looking at, and that was what I was saying. It's like I know what you're thinking, dude. You're thinking we're just going to go for the interstate because once you get the interstate, it's clear. Yeah. It's like I'm not down with that it's like we're you know if if you want to drive straight to the interstate over those hilly roads once we get out of the delta fuck that i'll sit here and wait for a fucking uber yeah and and, you know and and he did listen to me uh and and it turned out that even highway 61 which is flat as a pancake four-lane highway no embankment uh, so if we had spun out, we wouldn't have died. And at that, we were doing 15 miles an hour for the first 30 miles. And, you know, it, it was like, and, and, and then of course you get the other crazy asshole, stupid idiots, you know, passing you and shit because people are stupid. He's got to uh, you gotta prove your you gotta prove your man. Yeah, <laughs> I ain't no pussy. Uh, I drive fast in this now. I'm like that. Well, may be the case, sir. Yeah, and we drove past like at least four vehicles that's gone oh, yeah. off the road. Oh yeah, uh, no, you see them. It's it's like fucking going up Everest. You just see the bodies, and it's like be wary. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's like we were just trying to get where we're going, uh, and. Uh, that was, you know, and, and that was when when I was sick. Much, you know, much worse than I am now. Uh, and uh, so it, 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 that, that was an adventure. Then I bought the most expensive pair of shoes that I've ever bought because I have plantar fasciitis. I, you know, the soles of my feet are swollen and I ran across a guy who uh, I have reason to believe uh, actually uh, knows what he's doing and I told him what's going on and he uh, said you know, if you have plans here you if, if you know what? you I, I just plan- got I got I got a notification just before this I had on Claire Lopez when we were talking about all like the balloon incursions and how three objects have been shot down in eight days. <laughs> Forty-six minutes ago, another Air Force shot down something else over Lake Lake Huron. Lake Huron. They've shot down four objects in eight days. Well, now that we're aware of them. Well, now you got to have the. That's kind of my logic. Is I think they've probably been here, and it's probably like, yeah, we have shit over China. And but I think now that I think now you kind of have this like. Well, no, we gotta if shoot you're them using, now. The thing about balloons is, if you're using balloons, you have to have a very large density of them because they can't be steered. Yeah. Well, so, I guess the first one. There has to be a lot of them. Yeah. Now they're cheap compared yeah. to 
a jet yeah, sure. you know, or an airplane. So there's that trade-off. But you need a lot of them because you can't tell exactly where they're going to go. So uh, it's just... I so uh, I don't know the uh, <laughs> the clown the clown show the clown show continues. I just <laughs> I just want to see something get shot down. That's kind of what I, that's where I'm at. I'm just like I want to I want to see. Let me. I got so excited. I guess they scrambled fighter jets from uh, Portland Airport yesterday. It's like a false alarm. I have Portland Jetport. Portland Airport is the other Portland, and I got so excited and kind of scared for a second. And then I realized I'm an idiot. The only thing this airport's known for is this is where Muhammad Muhammad Ada came, <laughs> and he went and uh, he went and uh, had a connecting flight in Boston, which then he connected with the North Tower. But this is the airport. This is where it started. This is uh, yeah. I don't know if that's. I wonder if they sell like mugs at the airport. I don't. I don't know if they. Yeah. I don't know if they. They. I don't know if they'd really be too kind about that. Did I ever tell you? Yeah. Um. And then we got we do got to wrap this up because I got to fucking go get food because my tummy's grumbling. Um, my dad was actually I think at like Portland Jetport that morning, just like a couple hours prior though. But he was my my there's there's a very high probability. I'm sure we could probably find the timestamps of when the hijackers were there. I mean, it's been 22 years, so I, I mean, it's not like my dad would have the ticket or something. Yeah, but there's records of all that. But my dad was at the airport like that morning. Or maybe it was at Logan he was at. But no, regardless, he was like on the same like terminal that they were at. Yeah. Kind of nuts, uh, though. No, it was, you know, well, what I was getting ready to say was that uh, I spent, you know, I've never spent more than $40 on a pair of shoes in my life. Oh, yeah, sorry. And uh, the... I said no. You need you know. So you have plantar fasciitis. You you need new uh, New Balancer Brooks, and so I bought the New Balance that was one hundred and twenty dollars. And then he was like, "What do you do when you're at home?" It's like, "Well, I normally go barefoot." And so like, you can't do that if you have hard floors, you have plantar, then you have to have you have to have something with support. And so he sold me a pair of Merricks which were another $100, and they're actual shoes. They're not really slippers. You have to wear socks with them, which is a lifestyle change for me. And it's been really... But it does seem to be helping. This is the thing that came on. It took months for it to happen, and I'm seeing the beginning of it uh, actually maybe improving. Hell yeah. And uh, so it's that's another thing that's going on with me. Uh, probably not of interest to anybody except anyone, anyone else who has plantar fasciitis. And we, we aim for every demographic on this podcast. <laughs> I think this podcast has shown we are here to shoot for every demographic. Um, yes. I saw a funny meme. And it was like, Goodyear blimp feeling very anxious about Super Bowl tomorrow. Just that all the balloons are being shot down. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a balloon with like a scared, like a scared meme face on it. Like I don't want to go. Get up there, buddy. I don't want to go. Yeah. Be a man. Well, hey, is know. it an open stadium or not? I don't think they do open stadiums and Super Bowls anymore. I feel like I think they kind of. I, th- I think the 
the game's so big and the revenue's so large that they, they kind of just want to make they sure do domes. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, I think that is yeah. the case. I think I think we have it in uh, in New Orleans. I was gonna say. 20- Y'all had like the biggest one. A lot of them were. I think like a disproportionate number of Super Bowls were there because y'all had like the biggest fucking dome. Actually, now that I think well, of it, I think the I think the Super Bowl is almost exclusively in domes now. Yeah. Well, it's not the biggest dome, but the Superdome has uh, is the, the most longest. Okay. It's it's the longest lived stadium. Oh. I mean, there's stadiums that were built after the Superdome was was that have been demolished. Yeah. Uh, are, are mothballed and the Superdome uh, turns out it was very well designed and the you know they've renovated it several times and they're in process of renovating it again right now uh, but uh, it's uh, because it's in foot distance of the French Quarter you can walk from the Superdome to the French Quarter uh, a lot of other venues and uh, you know this is in this is New Orleans, this is Party City Prime. Uh, that is a big attraction. Yeah. You you have a bunch of hotels right there that you you know once you put your car in the you know vertical car park, you don't have to even touch it again. You can walk everywhere that you want to be to nice restaurants, dome to you know to to to, to see the game and all. Uh, this is one of the things that is really nice about having an event like that in New Orleans. Uh, this is one of the few cities that uh, is actually like that. Because most cities, if you know that that can host the Super Bowl, you have to drive to the stadium, you park your car, mm-hmm. and then you have to drive back to the hotel, and then you have to drive to wherever you're planning to celebrate. Uh, here, You're you right park there. your car and do the rest on your feet, yeah. and uh, that that is a a feature of having your thing in New Orleans. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, and I don't do that a lot. Uh, I've only done, I've only availed myself of that a few times, but it is really. Fuck yeah. Decide to. We're going to find out tomorrow that they shot a balloon down over Superdome and destroyed it. <laughs> Dude, this is this is bonkers. That, I mean, I'm, I also don't really think it's a whole lot. I mean, in five years, we'll probably just be like, remember that whole balloon thing? Like, I don't think it's, but it is kind of, it is interesting. Well, if they're doing it that much. We're only noticing it now. It's probably that. It's probably more so. It's probably it's probably the one last week was bad PR, and now it's like you got to we we're kind of playing whack a mole. It's just yeah. I would imagine it's something because you can't fucking steer a balloon. Yeah. The only way you get anything useful out of a balloon thing like that is to have a whole fleet of them. Well, apparently the one last week was kind of changing its course to go to military bases, which I guess I sub- suggest it had like a propeller. What, I don't what? believe that. Yeah, I don't I don't I, I don't know enough. I don't give a f- most importantly I don't care. <laughs> but no, you're probably right. It's probably just a 
right? You can't throw one at it. It's probably like World War II bombing. You just got to throw everything at it because you yeah. can't. I would it's imagine like, it's, it's that. It's like um, V1s. It's, it's like, well, one of them will hit London. It'll hit London somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what is going It is interesting. I mean, at the very least, it's interesting. I mean... Yeah. I mean, you can't steer a balloon. That's, you know, balloons 101. I've ridden in a balloon. I have actually taken a balloon flight. So I actually have experienced how balloons work. Uh, and that was fun as hell. Just going to say. I guess. Thank you. Thank you, Budweiser. They were the peep. They were the sponsors. It was their promotional balloon at the uh, balloon race in well, I guess, Baton Rouge. I guess China is talking about shooting down a balloon in their airspace. Well, they would know because they're the ones who are launching them <laughs> against us. Duh. Yeah, of course we shot it down. We had the tracking number on it. <laughs> I mean. As far as World War Three goes, this is kind of cuter than I ever thought it would be. Just the attack of balloons. Until, of course, it turns to thermonuclear weapons. But, you know, the yeah. build-up build is adorable. It, it's really stupid. That, <laughs> I, saw, that... I, saw, I, saw, uh, I saw a meme yesterday of, uh, just like, I don't know, like a Scooby-Doo dog balloon from a Macy's Day Parade. And they're like, throw this fucker up. The ATA ATF will shoot it down in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> they'll come and shoot your fucking dog um, well on the off chance that there's a UFO invasion and this is the end I think we've had a good run on this podcast but I don't think it is and we will be back uh, next week but Roger if you don't mind me uh, cutting this one off rather abruptly I gotta get some food I'm starving okay. my dick yeah. off next week I have a movie date with Dad so uh, I won't even wait no, fuck me I won't even be here this weekend week after Okay. I'll put you on for twenty six, two weeks from today. Yeah. Thank you for catching me. I don't I will not even be here. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll be uh, seeing uh Ant Man. Ooh. Ooh. I actually going to give my dad a present. I bought him some gin. Bladed, oh. like eight weeks bladed for his birthday. My dad loves gin. <laughs> and I actually got him some gin from like the UK. It's called anti gin. And it's like made with like Distilled fire ants or some shit. I think it's more of like a novelty. But you, you mentioned Ant Man. So next week, Roger will be seeing Ant Man, and I will be giving my dad anti gin. Well, but you know, gin, most gin tastes like it was made out of fire ants and shit. I it all don't tastes like, like horse shit. It all tastes like horse that. shit. I'm, I'm giving it because it's like, <laughs> hey, happy birthday. I don't. It's all. It's all jet fuel. I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all fucking. I don't know. You know, I'll drink vodka all day long, but why do people dry you know, drink gin? It's like you know, it tastes uh, vodka like vodka. Can at yeah, vodka can at least like mix with something sweet enough that it kind of it's just a little. Yeah, gin is just gin, gin's for someone that they're punishing themselves. That's hardcore. As as Tim Dillon said, gin gin drinkers like to know what they're up against. <laughs> that's the only logic i can think of is you're like i need i need to know i need to know that i'm getting fucked because yeah he's like yeah a good martini or mixed drink you'll have a couple of them and not realize it and then you're on your face 
He's like, gin drinkers, yeah. they want to know what they're up against. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you got no doubt. Yeah, you know you're you know you're going into the war. Yeah, you can hear the front line booming. But uh Roger, yo, let's wrap this one up. Um All right. guys, go grab his book in the description as always. And uh we will resume two weeks from today. Roger will come back with reports for Ant Man and I will bring back reports from Anti Gin and we will combine the two and uh I don't know, I guess welcome our new hot air balloon overlords. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck else to do. Much love, brother Roger. Feel better. Uh, take care, everybody. Go grab the book. Support Recording Roger. Recording Thank you so much. Stay safe. Peace.